0: Boy, does this take me back. We're all in our places with bright, shining faces. Um, maybe not so bright and shiny. I, um, I have some notes here, and I'm going to jump around a little. That's kind of the way I think. Maybe this way some of you think, particularly at exam time. Dave asked me to speak this morning uh, primarily anecdotally. Uh, but I want to, because I don't want to put anybody to sleep, but I do want to talk about some things that are important. But I'll just give you a little bit about what I do first. I, I make films. Some of the other things that I do are ancillary to that. But, you know, it's interesting. When you say I'm involved in the entertainment industry, in many quarters of the church uh, today, you will get any variety of funny looks. Like people whispering behind your back, why would he want to be involved in that? You know, the, uh, the idea of... Uh, the motion picture or entertainment fields to the generation preceding, I won't say our generation, because we're kind of a little bit different generation, but preceding mine has been one of abject polarization. In other words, for Christians, remember the don't smoke, dance, drink, play cards, go to the movies. Well, go to the movies was, uh, was and in many ways, in many places still is considered to be. Uh, a, uh, a, 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 a how can I put this let's just say a no-no uh, for, uh, for a lot of Christians and, and then further to be involved in actually making these films uh, brings uh, potentially a, additional, uh, puts you in an additional uh, position of uh, shall we say jeopardy from some quarters and that's sad in certain ways because the quarters that you find those arrows sometimes coming from are the very quarters that you ought to be able to look at for support Um, I really believe, how many people have seen a movie in the last month? I don't see, the hands high enough, come on. You can admit it, you won't get marked down by your professor. Um, 20 million people a week see movies, and many millions more than that see television each week. And of course, we also listen to music. We love, we all love to read a powerful book or to view a uh, moving painting or a photograph, or to experience the words of uh, someone who really knows how to write and to put cogent thoughts together in meaningful and resonant ways. But I believe that my attraction to to film started very young, and I think all of us have an attraction to creative forms uh, because we are given that by God. I mean, really, the word creative I don't think really even belongs in our lexicon except for... Being attributed to God. I mean, He's the only one who can make something from nothing. We're just sort of people who kind of rearrange the things that He's already created into uh, into other other forms. But basically, we're dealing with uh, with stuff that He's already made. Um, but I believe that even after the fall of man, His image is still reflected in us. His created His creative image uh, is, and His His His. Um, uh, our desire not only to appreciate the things that he has made but our desire also in some ways to enter into that experience is is left over and once we're redeemed we have the opportunity to do some wonderful wonderful things so don't ever let anybody put um, forms of employment into levels and categories you know like uh, you know being medicine is better than law and business is better than uh, uh, ministry is better than business because that's can I say a crock? That's a crock. Um, and uh, and as far as the arts, you know, well, those those people are really weirdos. They're they're kind of out in left field. You know, most people think of the arts as something that you sort of divest yourself of at the end of school. You know, you, you do your Hello Dolly production. It's okay, fool around with that stuff, get it out of your system, and then uh, go on get the B. A. and go on in uh, into whatever. My own adventure, you might say, started at age seven in uh, what at that time was a small town, Phoenix, Arizona, it had about 100,000 people out in the bleak Arizona desert cultural wasteland. <laughs> How many of you remember black and white television? No, I don't mean black and white shows, but actually a black and white TV. Okay, I'm talking about the kind that were like as large as a refrigerator, Packard Bell, little round black and white screen. John Stead still has that. Anyway, that's what I grew up watching, you know, the Leave it to Beaver and, uh, uh, you know, Ozzie and Harriet and all that sort of stuff. But my father uh, grew up in a small town in Iowa, uh, in uh, northwestern Iowa, town of Wall Lake, which is in Sac County, about halfway between uh, Des Moines and, uh, what's in the way upper northwest corner? uh Huh? No, it's da- 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 Davenport. Well, we'll call it Davenport, but anyway, I've never been there. The point is, it was a small town. <laughs> that part is not needed for the story. It's a small town, 800 people, and, and my dad, who could not carry a tune in a platoon of buckets, um, had the distinction of a mother who taught piano, and he happened to be childhood friends with a singer by the name of Andy Williams. I don't know if anybody of you know that name. He's getting older and grayer these days, but, but Andy was from a generation of crooners, the grandfather of whom was Frank Sinatra, and then Bing Crosby, and Jack Jones, and Mel Torme, and uh, and uh, Tony Bennett, and all of those types of guys who would sing, you know, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And um, the point is that that every single time that Andy Williams, who had a weekly TV show, was on the air, you know, we'd all gather around the thing, Hey, yeah, I know him, you know. It's funny, because years later, I met Andy Williams, and I talked to them, and I, you know, my dad and, and his, his brothers and my dad and their brothers were good friends for three years, and Andy had absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever, <laughs> even though they're together in the class picture. But uh, um, my point is, what is my point? No, my point is, my point is that we got involved through music, my brothers and I. Uh, we started singing at uh, Boy Sopranos in the Phoenix Boys Choir, which is an internationally touring choir at the age of 8, nine, and then up to 9, 10, 11, 12, and so forth. Um, and we then, in between times, were walking around the house with a spoon like a microphone, you know, and doing whatever else uh, kids do. But singing sort of opened me up to the area of... This was a non-saved family, by the way. opened me up to the area of, uh, of the arts. And it was just through that kind of popular culture that I made my entrance into the arts. And from, from boys' choir, fortunately, my voice changed, and I went on to... Leading from singing into acting and uh, community theater, school theater, but the big thing for me always was a trip to the movie theater. I mean, that was a big thing. And uh, I mean, I didn't like drive-ins, I liked the theater. And for my very first time, the combination of you 20 know, foot high images and powerful, powerful performances and beautifully written scripts and wonderful dialogue and art direction and music that created a captivating story just sort of reached down. I don't know if you guys remember some of your early movie experience, but just reach down and moves you in the depth of your being in a way that almost nothing else can. And that original experience was just Herbie and the Love Bug. But... <laughs> but my interest in films carried me through high school, and, and, and actually I had, a, I had a chance to take a, a class called Film and the Filmmaker which is a class where you have a little history, a little theory, and then you run around with Super 8 movie cameras. This is before video became the rage now, but Super 8 movie cameras are really the way it should be done because it is film, it must be processed, developed, edited, and so forth. And um, I'm still good friends today with the, the guy who taught that high school class, um, although it was over 20 years ago. And um, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I find that... Um, the more something becomes known to you. I mean, you always hear that you're, the things that you're afraid of are the things that you don't know. In other words, a lack of knowledge is what produces fear. And um, as I began to to to, to uh, explore that world, it, it, it took on a whole exciting dimension for me. And even though I was saved at 17 in high school, I, I, I didn't abandon my love for the theater, for music or for film. And um, in addition, I discovered a sort of an entrepreneurial sense in myself, a kind of a, uh, what do you call it, a confidence, a salesmanship, an ability to be able to uh, uh, get out and hustle the deal, so to speak. And when and I hustle sometimes means, takes on negative connotations. It just means to be able to survey the landscape, look at the opportunities that maybe other people are missing that are before you and take advantage of them. Um, I remember we were running out of cars, hanging around, uh, hanging out of cars, running around with, with movie cameras and, and, you know, suspending ourselves from telephone wires and trying to great, get the great shot for the movies. I remember I, I sold my commercial, uh, my first commercial, budget was $225 for a local jewelry store and I had to write it and act it and, and direct it and do everything and then, uh, and I, the funny thing is when I sold this commercial I'd never actually worked. Never actually done anything in 16 millimeter for me, and I had done this, this home movie size, so I, of course I can do it, of course I can do it, and how am I gonna do it, you know, so, and I went over budget, I was 10 bucks over, it was 235 bucks. We came to California in 1976 to do an apprenticeship with a director that some of you may know the name of, his name is Peter Bogdanovich, and uh, I got that apprenticeship not by Submitting an application through an an internship department at my school I got it because I found out his mother lived where I lived and I tracked her down and beat her up. No, I (laughs) No, but I sort of charmed my way or hustled my way into her living room and got her to invite me over and introduce me to her son Who at that time was living with civil shepherd and uh, but I came over on this film called Nickelodeon that he was starting in 1976 One thing that I very learned very early however is that a filmmaker like any artist must be clever he must be able to Creatively and every other way. Look at the landscape as I say, and see the opportunities which are there to be taken. Whether it's a matter of looking at a palette which has the same prism of colors for every single artist who uses it, and decide how am I going to select these elements and combine them on the canvas, or the words in the alphabet, the, the mastery that can be done from the same twenty-six letters uh, by by people who know how to wield them deftly, are is is uh, is of incredible value. But uh, if you're passionate and if you care. And if you're interested in your job being more than a job, more than I want to go, get out of college, sit down at a desk, get paid my paycheck, and for the next 35 years get that paycheck, and then I'll retire, move to Palm Springs, and die. Um, that's not what you want to do. If you want, if you're really concerned about making your career count, then you want to have impact. You want it to be more than a job. You want to use it as a launching pad for whatever God might want to do in your life. And that is how I view it, and how I have tried to view it. Um, so as a result of uh, the apprenticeship, I you know built these various companies and uh, sold them to Harcourt Brace in 1985, and then uh, went on to movies because to me it was all sort of part of a grand master plan. Uh, but that kind of uh, that kind of plan, you know, it takes turns that you expect and turns you don't expect. I got in some ways the absolute uh, thrill of my life when I had the opportunity. Uh, I set out to look for a script this was shortly after our second son died of sudden infant death syndrome and i was looking for something very i was very tender-hearted and looking for something that really dealt with the 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 foundational virtues and values of life the sort of salt of the earth you know truth and dignity and loyalty and commitment and all of those things and i found a script that was 17 years old called one cup of coffee and i made the um movie i went out and raised a million nine hundred thousand dollars in financing uh and made the film and I would have been happy if it had been, you know, 70 or 80% of my expectation. It was my first feature film. But it was like 120% of my expectation. It was, I mean, you always measure your work by expectation compared to reality. You know, what was my vision for this and how close to it did I get? But rarely do you get the joy of being able to exceed what you had thought you'd be able to do. And in that particular case, probably as close as I'll ever get to an Academy Award was standing at a podium in front of, I don't know, probably four, five times as many people as uh, as at the Sundance Film Festival. The Sundance Film Festival is run by Robert Redford out of Park City, Utah, and all of the very best. Uh, they look at about four 500 films a year. They invite 16 to participate, and we won the darn thing. And uh, and I still don't know how that happens. I pinched myself, uh, and I figured Maddox had something to do with it, but... Um, <laughs> no but um, but but one of the things I wanted to bring up to you, uh, you know, after that film, I got to go all over the world because it was at the Tokyo Film Festival, London, Munich, Turin, uh, and then of course you know Houston, Seattle, stuff domestically. and uh, one of the um, one of the things that I need to explain about being in this involved in this this industry is that you've got. A strange dichotomy. You really do feel like a man without a country in certain, certain ways. Um, while I, it's my goal here to encourage any and all of you to become inter, uh, to become involved or to become uh, uh, active in the areas of media or in any area of public discourse, but but film, television, journalism, art, any of those things. It is because I truly believe. Uh, That, and I'll get into this more in a few minutes, that that the reason that we're not there is because of this archaic and, I believe, uh, totally inappropriate response by most of the church, uh, like this, to the entertainment industry. Yes, there's a lot of hedonism in the entertainment industry, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of hedonism in the sports industry, and I don't see any Christians backing away from sports. There's a lot of uh, hedonism in politics, and well, Christians to some degree are careful about that. But in the world of business, it ain't no picnic. There are, there's corruption, vice, and every sort of um, every sort of evil in the heart of man. Regardless of it, it's just that in the entertainment industry, it's much more public, and it may in fact be more intense. But it's a fine line to walk to be able to be in the world and not of the world, but it it can be done. It's harder now because there are only a few of us there, but the more people who are there, the easier it will become. Don't forget that we, as a church, controlled the arts in Western the Western culture for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, just like Christmas. Christmas has been stolen from the Christians by this world. So is our answer to say, well, we're not going to have Christmas anymore. We're not going to do that because they do it. Well, no, that's really not the answer. The answer is to demonstrate through our worship what celebration of the incarnation of God in human flesh actually means so that some might be, as it were, plucked as a brand from the burning, some might see, and some might respond to Christ. Similarly here... um, there are very many ethical dilemmas, and you can only do what your conscience will allow you to do. You know, what if I get a job as a production assistant on Roseanne? Or, you know, see, I heard a, an expression. Somebody went, Shh. Now, we have to guard against knee-jerk reactions to anything. I mean, somebody could say, hey, I got a job at a 7 Well, you don't want to be the seven eleven, 7-Eleven. They sell a penthouse magazine at seven eleven. 7-Eleven. Somebody could say, well, I work in a... Uh, Paper manufacturing company. Way they use that paper to make those dirty magazines over there. You know, I mean, you probably cannot get away from something that has some secondary or tertiary relationship to something that's going on that you wouldn't want to be a part of. So your choices are two: check out of the world, go live in a an isolated, sort of ascetic type of background, uh, type of uh, uh, environment, or you can jump in and enter into a meaningful dialogue with the world where they can see that Christianity is relevant. Christianity has meaning, and Christianity, Christ can be brought to bear. There is not one human activity that Christ cannot be brought, be brought to bear upon. And that doesn't always mean opening your Bible and reading Scripture verses on the movie set. That just means they will know we are Christians by our love. That means the kind of character we manifest, the kind of excellence that we manifest in our work and when the opportunity does come up to be able to share judiciously to take that opportunity. When I was talking about a dichotomy and being a man without a country, what I meant is I have spent the large part of my Christian life as an adult uh, uh, feeling not at home in the world and not at home in the church. Most of the people that I know who are in the arts, who either are Christians or call themselves Christians, would never attend my church. And they wouldn't attend my church because uh and I say this with love toward my church, but my church does not really have a worked out theology of how to how to integrate culture and Christianity. And it's difficult because we need to find the point of integration. Most of the people that I know go to more liberal churches. And even though they're churches that I would probably not want to go to, um, it's a very difficult thing because you find yourself where people are wondering, well, what's he doing now? And um, and you find other other places where you feel that if you were to go to another church that they would hold to theology that you feel is is uh, is is not uh, representative of where you want to be. So you you have to realize that some of the unique challenges to this area is until we reach more of a critical mass that sometimes you feel a bit like a bastard son. You feel like someone who doesn't in certain situations have the kind of support that a guy would have in one of the more conventional or acceptable careers. And that is unfortunate, it's a shame, but we you know you deal with it and you 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 move forward in the best way you can, but that's that's reality. Another another reality is the kind of stuff that you have to deal with in the industry like for example, when I Hollywood operates in a strange way. They're always looking for what's new and who's new. And when I came out of Sundance, I was getting two offers a week to direct major studio motion pictures. Talk about having to pinch myself. I mean, this is what I want. Every one of them had a $400,000 paycheck attached. Every one of them was uh, a major studio. But I read script after script after script after script. It was just stuff I couldn't do. Unfortunately, I didn't have another script ready that I could say, here's what I want to do. So I took a movie called Free Willy, at Warner Brothers. <clears throat> and um, I worked on that movie ten and a half months as the director. I hired the crew, developed the script, did the casting, found a great whale. <laughs> Got to know Keiko very well, the whale in Mexico they shot that in Mexico City. Twenty-foot whale in a an eleven foot deep deep tank. Um But all the time, as we were going through the development of the script, you need to understand I was feeling more and more full of anxiety. Now, this was not, I must tell you, this was not so much of a spiritual issue. This was a creative issue. I was brought aboard by what's called the, who is called, the man called the 800-pound gorilla at Warner Brothers, Richard Donner, directed all the Lethal Weapon movies, directed Superman. The man is loaded in several ways. And um, (laughs) he is... um, Somebody who uh, is as liberal as they come. Matter of fact, the first time he, I met him, he said, uh, at, when he when heard some of my notes on the strip, he said, Robin? This guy's about 60 years old, but really kind of a hail fellow, well met, you know, big barrel-chested guy. And I said, yes? Are you a Mormon? <laughs> and I said, no, I can't say that I am. And he said, uh, well, I know the Miss Bishop here at the Mormon Temple, and every time I make a lethal weapon, he said, no, don't do that. And when I make a movie like uh, Radio Flyer, he says, that's terrific, that's terrific, make a film like that. Uh, and I said, well, uh, and, and you know, these kinds of situations. Now, how many of you think I should have said, no, but I am a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? I wouldn't have said that. Absolutely not. I know people who are missionaries uh, who go into countries where they do not re- reveal that they are Christians for five and six years. You don't walk in and say, hi, I'm a Christian. You have to establish a trust. You have to convince people that you are fantastic at what you do. They don't care what you believe. I mean, they do care what you believe. As a matter of fact, they have a bias against what you believe. But you need to, uh, to be able to prove up your abilities in every way so that there is there is no blame against you, other than if at all your faith. And by that time, if you've engendered enough respect for who you are and what you do, you have the ability to be able to speak speak openly, although carefully. So here we are in the middle of Free Willy, and uh, I had three drafts of the script. We were six weeks away from shooting, and I began to realize that from the time that I had sat down with Dick Donner 11 months earlier, and I had told him the eight things that I would change about the movie, starting with the title, you know what that means in England or Australia, um, in any case, I said... <clears throat> I said... Um, uh, I said, here are the things that I would change about the movie, and he said, Fine, you're brilliant, you're terrific, you're fabulous, blah blah blah. And I began to realize that there was a hidden agenda and that there was really no intention of changing the script. And by three tries on the rewrite, I, who had wanted to make the black stallion with a whale and a boy, uh had uh found that uh what they really wanted to make was sort of a sort of an over sentimentalized, simplistic version of a kind of a cheap shot flipper movie. And uh Oh, did I tell you I really didn't like the way it came out? In <laughs> any way, in any case, uh, so I walked off the picture over what we call creative differences six weeks before we started shooting. I walked away from a lot. If I had made that movie with the amount of money it made, my fee on this movie would be, this next movie I would be doing would be $800,000. Uh, I would be, um, I would be, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, just that much further along. Uh, and then, because I've been off the market for 1,100 uh, 11 uh, months, so the next group of young, hot directors has come on from the next year, and now they're flavor of the month. And I'm in a situation where I am getting offered movies like Johnny Zombie, uh, which ultimately was released under the title My Boyfriend's Back. Anybody hear that about that movie? When I first saw that script from Touchstone, I had 24 hours to decide if I wanted to do it. Well, it didn't take me 24 minutes. The tagline on the movie was, Johnny, the dream of Johnny's life is to ask Missy to the high school prom. But there's just one, one problem. Johnny's dead. Johnny's zombie. Anyway, so. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, these are some of the challenges that you deal with. Now I'm, I'm doing two projects right now. I'm, doing, I'm executive producing and directing the Dave Dravecki story for the Fox Television Network. And I am uh, also involved in a, something I can't go into in detail, but it's a highly sensitive film. I'm going to a very um, dangerous and troubled part of the world in a couple of weeks on a film for a um, uh, an organization that is interested in bringing out uh, um, <clears throat> issues about uh, Christian persecution. In, and I'm doing it under a pseudonym and under sort of um, rather secretive circumstances because it's it's kind of a dangerous thing. But these are all wonderful, wonderful opportunities that I thank God for. At the same time, I want to tell you, when I made the decision to walk off the picture, I knew I was going to take a major hit in my career, a major hit. There are many people in Los Angeles in the movie industry who think I was a fool to walk off the movie because they don't see it the way I do, because I see that I have to have some integrity about what I do and about the way I do it, and I need to make those decisions even if they hurt. And they sometimes do hurt, and they sometimes are financially detrimental or or detrimental to the direction of your career, but you need to know that. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to talk to you for a second about another issue related to the challenges of the career, and it has to do with movie morality, which is the, the cornerstone of the uh, sort of ubiquitous debate between uh, whether or not people should, be, should go to movies or be involved in movies. Um, you know as well as I do that, now I'm going to say some stuff here that's controversial, so if, if I uh, offend your background, I apologize in advance. It's not my intention. But this is, you must understand that as a Christian, you need to work through how you feel about various subjects. You need to know what you believe and how you will handle it. The, the concern, for example, about language in motion pictures is really not much of a concern to me. You know, somebody says damn or hell or or even worse. The concern to me is about what is the message that the movie is conveying. Because on a certain level, now make sure you understand this, on a certain level, all, Dave and I had a discussion about this once, all movies lie. Every movie lies. You know the traditional movie, guy gets girl, guy loses girl, guy gets girl back, they all walk into the sunset and it's a uh, happy ending, right? There are no happy endings without Jesus Christ. The Bible, I'm twisting scripture, I hope the Lord will forgive me a tiny bit, but the Bible says that during these times, men will call truth lies and lies truth. And that's true as it comes to spiritual truth, but it's also true in in the way that um, many people would prefer to have films be about life as they would like it to be, rather than life as it is. Um, If I were going to make a movie on Charles Manson... Would I be doing a service or a disservice if I were to represent Charles Manson as anything less than what he was? Should he look like what he did? Should he act like it, talk like it, walk like it? Or should I portray him like a Sunday school teacher who says, nice to meet you today? That would be deception. And since anybody who knows anything about the construction of the story knows you must have conflict, usually which is founded in some sort of conflict between good and evil, you cannot have a conflict when you remove evil from a story. Now, the question is, would I go as far as Oliver Stone and you know I mean my way of looking at it is that you know I can tell garbage is garbage by walking up to a trash can and tipping up the lid and taking a whiff. I don't have to stick in my head and take a bite. The issue objective one, because one person is only going to be able to do what his conscience will allow him to do. And I want you to know that I know Christians who will say, Oh, I don't want to see that movie, it has bad words. Not to make fun of anyone who would say that. But on the other hand, I know people who want to go see an Alfred Hitchcock murder mystery. Now, I don't swear, but I don't kill people either. And I don't think we can define sin selectively. We're making films for sinful audience about sinful people doing sinful things. So let's not try to make them look like Christians. They're not. And I think that the question that everybody needs to resolve for themselves is... At what point does seeing other people sin on screen cause me to sin? That's the issue. And most of us know that people that we encounter, well, I don't know about in the the college environment, but I mean, if you're out about in the world, you encounter bad language and evil acts and evil intent and evil attitudes all the time. The question is, what is the point being made by the filmmaker? Who has seen Schindler's List? You guys have gone to R-rated movies. Schindler's List has nudity in it. Now, what about that? There is sexual nudity in Schindler's List. And don't try to say it's black and white so you can't see it very well. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. First of all, the issue to me has to do with what is being, what statement is being made. If you look at the movie very carefully with an analytical mind, which you all should, all should, all should be doing, you shouldn't be, you know, making out during this movie or something. This movie represents, in two very specific incidences, sexual nudity. Now I'm not going to tell you, in a group like this, what my feelings are about sexual nudity, but I will tell you that they are conservative, and I will tell you that I don't have every single aspect of the issue buttoned up for myself yet after 20 years. But it's an individual, and I know what the scriptures say, and I also know the world I live in, and so far I have not had to come in in contact with this decision. But let me just tell you one thing that makes Steven Spielberg, in my book, applaudable. For the way he handled this movie, it had to do with the fact that the two instances, for those of you who haven't seen it or have seen it, excuse me, the two instances in which nudity was handled was were one with Oscar Schindler when someone else happened to uh, look through his uh, window, and one was Ra- the Ralph Fiennes character, I forget, but the commandant. Both of these men were made to be despicable characters. Oscar Schindler was a cheap, two-bit, hustling entrepreneur trying to make a living on other people's money. Who uh, was cheating on his wife, and uh, and had no bones about it. At the end of the movie, we see through the ordeal that what Oscar Schindler has 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 uh, through the the adventure and the ordeal that he has participated in, he comes back to his wife. He promises his wife faithfulness for life, and along with all the other things that take place in the movie vis a vis the Jews. Then you have the Ralph Fiennes character, who is represented as a sadistic despicable, crazed, maniac who participates in every kind of vice, from bribes to uh, illicit sexual activity with whoever happens to be around and and whatnot, and this individual ends up being executed by hanging and shown to be the despicable character he is. All I'm trying to say is that the point that is being made is that this was not shown to be anything positive. It was not shown to be anything attractive. It was not shown to be anything desirable. It was shown to be the activities of desperate men, desperate sinful men who were uh, at the bottom of the barrel morally. The other nudity was just concentration camp nudity, which had to do with people who were under unbelievable pressure to do whatever they were commanded to do under, under pain of death. So what I guess I'm trying to say is, that without, without, my, I'm going to sidestep the issue of whether or not to 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 do nudity, is and not make that the issue. The issue is for every word, every character representation, every every uh, uh, expression that occurs on the screen, you better have a reason for it, and you better have thought it through. I am much more, much less offended by a guy in a, a movie about gangs who comes up to somebody with a knife to his throat and tells him, "If you open your mouth, I will split your effing neck." than I am about Steve Martin in the movie Planes, Trains, Automobiles, standing at the car rental counter, seeing how many times he can cram the F word into his complaint about his car, which basically takes bathroom humor and tries to push it to just make cheap shot jokes and try to entertain people with bad words and bad language and bad examples. So that's my uh, soapbox. I I don't have much time left, but I want to say that some of these issues are real issues that need to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with within the context of the marketplace. They need to be dealt with. Dealt, they cannot be dealt with if you're going to isolate yourself from the game. If you're going to be off the field. If you're not going to be around. I believe it's been sort of a pessimistic vision of the church that's presented, uh, prevented uh, people from participating in the culture. And I say the church, not because there aren't some parts of the church that are are leaders in this area, but it is a difficult area for the church to participate in because. They cannot, nor would I advocate a church to appear to sanction any particular thing, but to find the role of how to interact with culture is, is something that's going to be more and more important the more our culture drifts. Um, so. But in any case, most Christians are non-entities when it comes to shaping culture. They, are, they have checked out. And if anybody is going to be able to participate if anybody's going to be able to have meaningful dialogue in the marketplace of ideas, to be able to bring Christ to bear, that individual ha- has to be able to realize, I will hear things that are not appropriate to my lifestyle. I will experience things. I mean, I sit sit in a conversation with uh, two or three gay guys and somebody else, you know, Hey, Robin, are you going to the Clinton fundraiser tonight? Or whatever it is. And I say, listen, if we can get back to page 23 here in the script, we can... Uh, you know, whatever. It's a very, very uh, dicey and careful issue. It must be thought through carefully. But I want you to know that you can't win the game if you're not on the field. There are, some, there are many, many places... I'm really on the, the front of the front of the front lines. There are some people who would get a job as a secretary, an accountant, a production assistant. And those people are of less concern to the movie industry. They want to share Christ on their lunch break. It's their lunch break. Who cares? But when someone is trying to select a director or a producer to work with on their movie, they want to get somebody like themselves. I mean, isn't that true for you? Don't you want to? If you want to embark on an enterprise, don't you want to surround yourself with people of common worldview? So they want to get somebody it'll be fun to be with for a year because that's what it takes to make a movie. And um, uh, it's important. It's important. It's vitally important that we be able to present a winsome image for Christ that we be able to walk that line carefully those of us who have to have uh ready answers for questions and um so i ask myself why i ask should i should say i ask i ask myself why regularly but i also ask you why you would want to consider some aspect of the media or some aspect of the entertainment industry or motion pictures because even though there are tough issues to grapple with there will not be an industry you'll be involved with where there will not be tough issues to grapple with. But I will tell you that you will distinguish yourself by your professionalism, you will distinguish yourself by your preparedness, by your talent, and I also will tell you that, for the most part, the people who will have impact in our world have never asked for money on a radio or television program. They have not been on the payroll of a Christian organization Uh, They have demonstrated themselves through competence and class in their own secular profession and have earned the right to be heard They must be an excellent communicator They must know and love God's Word and they must understand that Christianity is relative to all of life. There is not one aspect of the life that we live That Christianity is not completely and totally relevant to it. You can bring Christianity to bear on Roseanne You can bring Christianity to bear on Johnny zombie if you can stomach the script you can be bring Christianity to bear. God knows all these things. And we have people who are godless people who are in control. Would it not be better to have a Christian who, as we all stood by and watched proudly, as Oral Hirschheiser pitched a couple of years ago in the World Series, would it not be better to have a Christian who could walk up and accept the Academy Award for Best Picture or Best Screenplay, to have a Christian who would dance in the Joffrey Ballet, to have a Christian who would be... Uh, who would be uh, 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 the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, example of the great American journalist or novelist? It can happen, and it could be one of you if you will not be afraid to enter the arena. Thank you very much.